and welcome to the Coffee Banter Podcast with me, Sanya. This show is a curated effort to offer depth and discovery about life and business alike. To have a conversation around the basic questions of existence, creativity, social healing and art, all over a cup of coffee. If you like the show, please don't forget to subscribe and to leave a feedback on whichever platform you use to listen to your podcast. It would really mean so much. And now, let the banter begin. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Coffee Banter with Sanya Zafar. My guest on the show today is a self-made man, as I would call it, with a very interesting transition from academia to public sector and finally to entrepreneurship. He's the co-founder of Swartages, where they claim to challenge the status quo of the meme and rumor-based culture plaguing the sports media industry at the moment. And they provide innovative, smart, and intellectual content via audio, visual, and written platforms. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome my guest on the show today, Zushan Hashmi. Hi, Zushan. Hi, Sanya. Thanks for having me. Wonderful to have you and thank you very much for being on the show. We have a bit of a time difference, so I really appreciate you adjusting to that. That's all right. Um, I think you said it in the introduction. I often do have to work on a lot of the things that I do with Sportages in the night (laughs) because the rest of the world is in a completely different time zone to us in Australia. That's absolutely true. So my next question was, did you bring yourself a cup of coffee? So I think that actually goes down the drain because it's actually nighttime right now at you. <laughs> I, no, no, I, I'm, I'm having a, a light green tea because, you know, I'll probably go to bed after this. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So Zushan, um, we'll just start with uh, just letting everybody know a little bit about yourself. Um, how did you come to be where you are today and how was your journey? If you could just shed some light over that. Yeah, sure. So essentially, um, I was born in Dubai, UAE. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm originally from Karachi, Pakistan. I lived a little bit over there, but most of the most of my life was in in Dubai. Um, I think when I was three, I moved to Melbourne because my dad was doing his PhD here in Australia. And then when I was six, I went back to Dubai and essentially did all of high school there and right. moved to Brisbane in 2010. And I've been in Australia ever since, hopped around a bit from Brisbane to Sydney, and now I'm in Canberra. And yeah, I've done a myriad of things. Uh, not too much of anything, but a little bit of everything. I think that's more appropriate <laughs> to say. But uh, yeah, so I, I did my education in Brisbane and then I studied a bit more in Sydney where I was also working um, a little bit in at the University of Sydney then uh, after a couple of years there I moved over to Canberra to take up a public sector job which I still do to date as my day job and about a year ago I launched Sportagist with uh, two of my friends who also studied with me in Brisbane and yeah, so now I am to some, a very young startup owner and also a public servant. So it's that's sort of my story, if that gives you a bit of context. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And it's so wonderful seeing the transition that you've made because it's very different. Um, and it would not be wrong to say that you were interested in sports while you were growing up. Do you think does any of that has any uh, factors to contribute towards sport ages? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, of course, sports has always been uh, an important part of my life. Uh, you know, being Pakistani, cricket was huge. Uh, I used to watch cricket all the time, mm. used to watch games. I've watched games in Pakistan back in the day, also in the UAE. Um, and then in the UAE, soccer or football was a huge game. So oh, watched yeah. a lot of that. And I grew up playing a bit of sport here and there. Um, I played a lot of squash with my dad because he used to play uh, at a semi-pro level back in Pakistan. And that was something that sparked my interest. And since I've I think over the last couple of years, I do a lot of rock climbing. So that's sort of where it is at this point. But I think there's this underlying story which will unravel of mm. me doing a little bit of everything and not too much of anything. But uh, sport was definitely an important part uh, of my life. And I think with Sportages, uh, I was able to combine sport, which is one of the things I really enjoy with another one of my passions, which is writing and uh, content and developing ideas and, you know, being able to come up with something for people to appreciate. That's wonderful. And, and you speak about writing, you know, these are the two main things, you know, when I studied your profile, I found out that you have this wonderful initiative for sports. Um, and also, I think majorly what goes into it is really good content writing. And I think that's how I think we connected as well, uh, because I, I saw the articles that you were publishing on LinkedIn, and I really got interested in Sportageous. And it was really nice. I read some of the articles and the interviews that you guys did, and then eventually the podcast. So um, that brings me to my next question. It's, it's about writing. Um, how do you manage most of your editorial processes and sport, at Sport AGS? Because you're also the host of the podcast and you're the, I, I think, the main writer behind it. And I was even noticing that you've done some poetry in the past, which is wonderful. You know, you, you don't meet a lot of people these days who do that. Um, do you think your academic research and writing skills probably has some input to the fact that you write really well today and how much um, of it is important in modern day digital marketing that, you know, you have to be an excellent copywriter? Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, look, absolutely. I think everything that I've been able to take on in you know, this very short life of mine, uh, but everything that I think I've been able to learn so far, of course, I don't by any means think I'm at a point where I can say I know this perfectly or I am an expert at that. But I think all the experiences that I've been able to gain and the knowledge that I've sort of accumulated over uh, over my career and my education and so on has led me to this point. And the little aspects of skills that I've developed, whether it was, and you brought that up, I didn't mention that, but yeah, um, you know, when I was doing spoken word poetry or performing at slam poetry competitions or writing poetry, uh, that was one side of things, the academia, the opinion pieces that I'd write for publications, all of that sort of came together into what we're doing at Sportages. Um, so I guess, yes, absolutely. All of that does impact 
what we do. And then the up to the with the other part of your question, um, which was how do I manage all of that? Look, um, it may seem like that because I have had to often, you know, I do a lot of the business development side of things and uh, sometimes unintentionally become the face, but my two co-founders, Furkan and Hassan, do just as much work as I do, if not more. Mm-hmm. It's just that perhaps on the podcast front, it may seem like I'm doing it, but if you look at our website from scratch, everything has been built by Furkan. I don't think I've done anything on that side. Um, with a lot of the social media, I don't do that because I'm not a digital marketer. It's not my expertise by any means. So everyone has a role in it. And I think, you know, we're often doing, helping each other out as well. So with a lot of the content that we create at Sportageous, whether it's the articles we're writing, the opinion pieces, with the opinion pieces, we do, we're fortunate enough to get, have guest writers on board. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty handy because they would like, you know, they sometimes want to submit something or have something published. So that's pretty handy. You know, we will write occasionally. Um, Hassan writes quite a bit. And so does Furkan on, on the opinion side of things. In fact, probably more than me because I'm managing the editorial very often. And we do a lot of interviews and having to then fix those up and whether it's uh, it's an interview by audio that's then transcribed into text or whether it's a text interview, it still requires a lot of work. So I'm often stuck doing that. And I, I don't mean it in a negative way. It's just that because I'm so, I'm having so much fun doing that. I don't get <laughs> to do as much opinion or feature pieces as perhaps I intend to in the future. That's wonderful. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's nice that you mentioned that here as well, because we hear a lot of horror stories as well, when uh, founders and co-founders are working together on a venture or on a, on a, on a business uh, idea. Uh, mostly a lot of times, uh, because of the chemistry not working well in between each other, um, it doesn't work out. And it's just not pleasant to work in that environment. But I think it's really important that you guys share that sort of uh, bond with each other where, you know, I can see it in your voice, you're giving them due credit, even though they're not here. And that's just one of those things. So that's wonderful. Um, moving ahead with the with the sportageous concept. Now, you say that it's different from mainstream sports media platforms, right? Um, what do you mean by that? What is Sportage is doing that is different? What was the concept of launching it? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, to go at a very basic level, Sanya, like obviously you would uh, be, you would perhaps be familiar with this as well. If you look at media and sports media in particular, let's say in the case of Pakistan, you you know, how much of the story is of value and how much of it has to do with rumors, memes, clickbait, and often even fake news. A cricketer um, went viral because he was dancing and then the media sort of jumped on it and made a, essentially a circus out of it. And that's precisely what we challenge at Sportages. So our overarching mission and our slogan, for example, is uh, sport gets smarter. So the whole idea around it is that we need to give a bit of credit to sports fans or fans of sport and 
not assume that, you know, everyone is willing to take in this content, which doesn't have any value and doesn't actually perhaps teach you something. So what we try to do at Sportagis is we have a set of themes that we work around. Um, these include diversity and women in sports, sports technology and entrepreneurship, sports health and well-being, and sports academia, which is something that we're still working on. And then we also have editorial sections like the Breaking Myths section at Sportagis, which is essentially a place where we talk about different stories in sport that aren't necessarily true, so hence they're myths, and try to bring the facts to our readers. And we do this across the various different sports. And, you know, a lot of our content is chatting to athletes and sports professionals. And we like to dig a little bit deeper than asking, you know, a football player what their favorite color is and what they like to eat and watch. You have to ask that, though. I agree. At times it's important. But it doesn't just all have to be you know, simple, simplified base level stuff. You can go deeper. You can ask what it's like to overcome injuries, what, what it takes to be in the limelight. We assume that athletes and sports professionals are at the pinnacle of success and celebrity, but that isn't necessarily the case. Like, you know, I spoke to an athlete not too long ago here in Australia and by the age of 24, he had played two professional sports and then had a life-threatening injury where he had to retire for good. And the doctor said, hey, you might actually want to consider figuring out how you're going to continue to live and not worry about sport. And how he overcame that and sort of went on to restart his life, having only done sport for 24 years. So... There is an appetite for this, and we are seeing it more and more in sports media, but still significantly lacking. I think, you know, if, if you go on a sports-specific website, you may have to dig through, let, with the example of clicks, six or seven clicks before you can get to a content piece which provides the fan of sport or even someone who's not interested in sport, but maybe interested in a socio, historical, political, cultural aspect of what the sport does or brings or means. So that's what we're trying to do with Sportagis. And, you know, we're really young. We're hitting a year in August. And so far, it's been a pretty, the, it's been an overwhelmingly positive response from everyone who's given us feedback and uh, you know, the people who do follow us as an audience. And you also mentioned that you enjoyed the content. So thank you for that. But it's that's essentially the idea behind challenging the status quo of um, memes and rumors in the sports media industry. Understood. That, that explains it really well. And I would like to congratulate you on that note that I know that one year is still really young and you guys are still fresh, but if you see the content that is on the website or listen to the quality of the podcast that you have over there, it's amazing. Um, I did go through them and, you know, I found some really nice inspirational stories as well. And I think also it might give you um, some of that uh, dose of enthusiasm when you, when you speak to all of these people who are so resilient, who've 
faced adversities or challenges in their life and they've risen against them and um, they're just really hardworking people, but then they also have a purpose and meaning to life. Um, is there any particular story from one of these athletes or people from the sports federation or somebody that you spoke to that, that really like, you know, resonated with you and still has maybe? Yeah, well, obviously I did uh, slightly touch on one, but there is another one that instantly comes to mind. And that's of um, Sultan Shah, who is the chairman of the Blind Pakistan Cricket uh, Board and uh, Cricket Council, forgive me. His story is phenomenal. And, you know, I had the pleasure of speaking to him a, a few months ago. And, you know, he, he shares his story of how he, he was interestingly the first, the first captain of the Pakistan blind cricket team and went on to build that organization from grassroots to a point where it is now accepted and recognized and funded to a minimal extent, but funded nonetheless by the Pakistan cricket board. Whereas the Australian blind cricket team over here is not supported by cricket Australia. So being able to do that and being able to create this system where people with uh, visual impairment are given, given a salary provided with an education, given the opportunity to play and compete in a sport they love and get to travel around the world to play this game and also be set up for what comes after that. So he shared that whole story and his own story. And he particularly mentioned one thing that was really interesting was that through this organization, when he had started out, he went to other countries and helped set up and train their uh, blind cricketers. And one of the examples that he gave was Nepal, where he went and trained about 15 or 20 different players. And the interesting thing was, I think about four or five of them were women. And I think, you know, 19 years later, so a couple of years ago, they played their first international, the first international women's blind cricket match was held in Kathmandu between the Pakistani women's blind cricket team and the Nepal, uh, the Nepal women's blind cricket team. And I think the women that set up that team were the same women who were trained by him uh, many so years ago in that coaching setup that they had in Nepal. So the influence and the impact that he has been able to have in spite of you know, being in a country where there is close to very minimal support for people with visual impairment or other disabilities relative to, say, where I am in Australia. And being able to do that, hearing that story was absolutely fascinating. Um, and to think that this individual has also, you know, taught at a university, he works at a school, he's built up the cricket organization, he has worked with the government on projects. It is phenomenal. And I think that's definitely a story just in terms of the exactly what you mentioned, 
adversity, resilience, inspiration, dedication that came out of it that really sticks close to my heart. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think while you were speaking, I was thinking that maybe this is the kind of work or, you know, where there are some projects that you do where you actually feel a sense of fulfillment. So um, it's hard to say that everything that you do each day might be that particular trigger for you. But I do believe that sometimes, at, you know, during your regular work as well, there are particular stories or projects uh, or incidents that give you a sense of fulfillment. So do you believe through the podcast or through writing these articles or reaching out to these people and bringing their stories out and about into mainstream uh, digital media, um, you have that sense of fulfillment? And um, is this like really rewarding for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you know, you can create a platform where people, where you enable people um, to share stories such as these, I think, I mean, you know, I, I would I would almost say I'd be ungrateful if I wasn't happy being able to do that because it's it's a fascinating way to provide that voice and also learn that story and hear that story because often with a lot of the work that we do, yes, we do get um, bigger and more popular athletes who you can read about, but right. we also specifically target grassroots athletes and athletes from some sports where you may not really know about them. So I learned that story for the first time myself as well, often because I only have a base set of information and then being able to share that and realizing that other people also relate to it or appreciate it or find inspiration from it. I think that, you know, in, in that we've done, we've done our job essentially. Right, right. You know, this reminds me of um, a quote by one of my favorites, Maya Angelou. She says, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. And believe it or not, Zushan, this is, I think, one of the um, one of the driving forces behind me also starting this podcast, because I just thought that there's too many stories out there by people not preferably you know, really somebody who's made the mark as compared to, you know, normal societal standards, but everyone has a story to tell. And sometimes it's just nice to hear them and it can give you inspiration. And especially during these uh, trying times when most of us have to stay back home and then there's news media, you know, everything is about COVID, everything seems depressing and uh, there's just too much going on. I just feel at this time, you know, when we're really reconnecting with our own self or trying to, um, just listening to content where people are talking about something meaningful, something that gives them an idea about life, how they've dealt with something, something interesting that they've been doing, whether maybe helping community, helping a voice being heard. I think these are phenomenal stories and, and they should be told. So kudos to you on doing that. Um, moving ahead. Uh, since I am from a design background, so of course, I will not ignore that part completely. <laughs> and I did notice over the course of few months, you guys did change your logo a bit. So you've recently made it more gender inclusive with uh, equal parts of pink and blue, which is really nice. Um, but also, do you think, that, you know, while covering various stories, did you feel that women uh, in sports are are challenged or not given the right opportunities? Is it regional centric or do you think it's a it's a problem, you know, on, on, in, in a lot of countries? Yeah, well, uh, first, I'll just say uh, we're, we're like, I'm sure Furkan will be very glad to hear that people have noticed the design change and 
uh, the colors that he's sort of decided on because it's exactly for that purpose to be gender inclusive as an organization uh, that promotes diversity, women in sports, we're inclusive with everyone and anyone. That was sort of the idea and the reasoning why we swapped from it being, you know, one guy running to having uh, two people running in the other direction as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure when he hears this, but I will tell him after this as well that, uh, <laughs> you know, that was something that was noticed. He'd really appreciate it. So, Absolutely. yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. Um, what was the, forgive me, what was the other part of the question that you'd ask? Yeah, so women in sports. Yeah, yeah, sure. So look, it, you know, you would think it's regional, but I'll give you, I'll give you the stats because I have these fresh in my head at the moment. I was uh, reading about this not too long ago. I'll give the example of Australia because Australia is probably one of the better, if not the best, uh, sporting industry when it comes to women in sports and even within sports media. So, you know, we've obviously seen with the ICC Women's T20 World Cup, which was held just before the pandemic really kicked off, over 82,000 people showed up at the T20 cricket final, uh, which was which almost broke the record for the most attended women's sports game. I think it's still with the 97 FIFA World Cup final, um, but it's only a couple of thousand. So I think that that was one key thing that we saw here in Australia. And then the other thing was that in, I believe in March or February, the Australian women's soccer or football team, the Matildas, now get paid the same as the men's, soccer team in Australia called the Socceroos. Right. So that's one of the firsts in, I think, most of the world where that happens. And I'll give you now, I guess, coming to the sports media side of things. So in Australia, the, sorry, let me actually start it from here. The global average for mainstream media sports coverage of women in sports is 4%. So no. 4% really? of all, yeah. Exactly. Wow. So 4% of all mainstream sports media news or whatever so it is, is on women. In the US, it's exactly the same as the global average, which is 4%. In Australia, it's 12%. Now, that's significantly more, yes. But is it a lot? No. And that's the, that's the reality of it. We very recently here in Australia just won the bid to host the 2023 uh, Women's FIFA World Cup alongside our neighbors in New Zealand. So that's going to be fantastic for mm. the women's side of things. And I think that there is a lot of room for it and a lot of avenues for it to grow. But one of the key things that we want to do at Sportages is once we have enough capital and resources, we would like to bring more women into the organization to work with us for diversity of thought, for representation of a lot of the content we do, because I don't think that we can really do justice to the content until there are women working with us at Sportages, also producing and also leading on that content side of things and reaching out to athletes, creating stories, coming up with 
video casts or podcasts and sitting down and talking to them. So that is one of the missions that we have in our relatively longer term plans at the moment, you know, we're bootstrap startup, everything that comes in goes back into the business and just making sure that, you know, things are, the engine is running. So that's one of our longer term targets, but I think there's a lot of work to do. And I think in any space, when there's a lot of work to do, there's a lot of opportunity. And we want to take up that opportunity, but also do it justice. Right, right. Absolutely agreed. And, and so, Sean, you're managing so many things, like I said, um, at a very young age. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, you do have a day job as well, correct? Right. And then with entrepreneurship and having something of your own, because I've, I've recently experienced this because I've also left my 11 years of career and I'm on my own now and I'm working on things that I love doing. And although that sounds really nice, but I know that the back yeah. end, it's just that there is no downtime because now this is your own work and you don't get your weekends off or you don't get coffee breaks. So basically my next question is around the structure of your whole day. How do you, how do you manage the work-life balance? Is it something that actually ever really does get balanced? Yeah, look, that's an interesting one. I'll, I'll tell you an interesting fact about work-life balance. That's the most searched keyword on Google in Australia. So <laughs> I'm we, sure it's world over. <laughs> we, we really give it a lot of importance and, you know, it's something that, um, politicians speak about you know it's it's to that level where it's really really emphasized and in all honesty i would be lying if i said work life balance exists you know it it would be naive of me to say something like that i think finding that balance is a far cry it's always about finding some sort of balance or rather playing the balancing act because right you know, obviously you've got your career. I've got my career. I've got my, um, startup. I've also got my family, my friends, so many other things managing all of it. I think planning helps quite significantly. Absolutely. I think that's important. Right. Um, we, you know, try to follow a lot of planning systems. One of the advantages that we have at Sportages is, we all work remotely because we're based in different cities in Australia. And because of that, we've had to sort of ground up, set up the startup in a way where we can use SaaS products and other systems that enable us to really streamline the processes, our taskings and that sort of thing. So that definitely helps. Um, one of the important things that we do is because we're good friends, we like to keep each other in check. And if, you know, I'm overworking or one of the other guys is overworking, one of us is going to shoot the other person a message and say, look, I've got some downtime. Let me take it up and you go take a break. Oh, You've that's got... Yeah. So when that opportunity arises, we always try to make sure and uh, that we do that. And one of the things that we've really sort of pushed for now is at least having a Sunday off um, or a Saturday off or even splitting it in a way where two people are off on a Sunday and one is working and vice versa. So that way you get some downtime, you can spend time 
with your friends, your family, whoever so it is, and do the other things you need to do. You still have to do your daily chores, your housework, everything else. So managing all of that, um, you need to have processes in place. You mm. need to recognize when you're hitting burnout. Um, I, I would lie if I said I was perfect at it. Um, and I think everyone who is in such a space comes across these sort of things. Um, I am definitely no expert and I wouldn't call myself any sort of life coach or, you know, mindset or right. coach or anything of that sort. But what's worked for me is scheduling, setting up the right processes and systems and having people including your, it can be your family. My, my wife keeps me in check as well. So mm. she makes, you know, she, she, she works uh, and she works. If I was doing my day job, I'd probably work, be working less hours than her. So she works a significant amount of time, but she keeps me in check when, you know, I'm going overboard or I'm reaching that point of burnout. So having the right people around you and working with the right people in your organization uh, the day job, you got to do it. You know, it's, it's where your money comes in. And if you enjoy it as well, that's an added plus because often, you know, people don't enjoy that and do that just until the other thing kicks off. But if that's working out for you, that's a plus too. But overall, that's sort of what has worked for me. And right. I'm still learning. So I'm looking to uh, figure out more things. So if you have any tips, you know, you can, you can tell me as well. <laughs> no, no, I absolutely believe that learning never really stops. But I think personally for me, um, everybody had different experiences for, for COVID. But for me, one thing that it did was it forcefully slowed me down. And also the fact that I, I wasn't working, I, I had just left my job and um, I was basically, uh, I'm in hospitality, right? So hospitality industry is going through a very bad phase at the moment. Um, but that also forced me to really like take a step back and see what really it is that I like doing. What, what are my passions that were probably my dreams a couple of years ago, which I've literally pushed to the back of my head. So I think for me, it worked out. And um, it really helped me in streamlining. But then this is the downside of it, which I recently found out that, okay, when you're working for yourself, then you're pretty much occupied and your mind is constantly racing because see, it's, it's a digital age, digital era, you know, whatever you're doing, you're like, you know, I should rather be posting. I should rather be making some content. I should rather be getting in touch with people rather than relaxing. So it's just a very, um, I think uh, it's, it's a tricky one. And as you rightly put, finding balance is the key here. Uh, might not be ideal, but of course, I also feel that making schedules and making sure that I have very realistic goals uh, set with me. Yeah. And they're not like... Um, you know, unattainable. Like I make sure that I make weekly goals. I don't make daily goals. And even in that way, you know, if I'm going at my own pace during the week, that's absolutely fine. With that, Zushan, I would like to wrap up towards today's conversation. Um, I wish you guys lots of success. I look forward to reading lots of more content from Sports Ages and uh, wish you guys all the best. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be, you know, <laughs> 
the first person on the One podcast. Of the- <laughs> and I wish to you- yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, but I yeah. would also like to mention this here, which is something not everybody has, is that you've always been so helpful. We didn't know each other enough. We just connected through on LinkedIn. But whenever I had any question on, on my starting up my podcast or the art cover or what to do, what not to do, you were very helpful. So I think that's one of the qualities of people who are givers and that really sets them apart from the rest. Yeah, look, anytime. And look, honestly, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, more of the podcast and seeing how it grows. And I really uh, I really enjoyed this as well. It was a great, great discussion. So Absolutely. thanks again for having me. Thank you for coming, Zishan. Thank you. Take care. Welcome to the Coffee Banter Podcast with me, Sanya. This show is a curated effort to offer depth and discovery about life and business alike. To have a conversation around the basic questions of existence, creativity, social healing and art, all over a cup of coffee. If you like the show, please don't forget to subscribe and to leave a feedback on whichever platform you use to listen to your podcast. It would really mean so much. And now, let the banter begin. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Coffee Banter with Sanya Zafar. My guest on the show today is a self-made man, as I would call it, with a very interesting transition from academia to public sector and finally to entrepreneurship. He's the co-founder of Swartages, where they claim to challenge the status quo of the meme and rumor-based culture plaguing the sports media industry at the moment. And they provide innovative, smart, and intellectual content via audio, visual, and written platforms. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome my guest on the show today, Zushan Hashmi. Hi, Zushan. Hi, Sanya. Thanks for having me. Wonderful to have you. And thank you very much for being on the show. We have a bit of a time difference. So I really appreciate you adjusting to that. That's all right. Um, I think you said it in the introduction. I often do have to work on a lot of the things that I do with Sportages in the night <laughs> because the rest of the world is in a completely different time zone to us in Australia. That's absolutely true. So my next question was, did you bring yourself a cup of coffee? So I think that actually goes down the drain because it's actually nighttime right now at you. <laughs> I no, no, I I'm I'm having a a light green tea because you know I'll probably go to bed after this. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So Zushan, um, we'll just start with uh, just letting everybody know a little bit about yourself. Um, how did you come to be where you are today, and how was your journey? If you could just shed some light over that. Yeah, sure. So essentially, um, I was born in Dubai, UAE. Um, mm-hmm. I'm originally from Karachi, Pakistan. I lived a little bit over there, but most of the most of my life was in in Dubai. Um, I think when I was three, I moved to Melbourne because my dad was doing his PhD here in Australia. And then when I was six, I went back to Dubai and essentially did all of high school there and moved to Brisbane in 2010. And I've been in Australia ever since, hopped around a bit from Brisbane to Sydney, and now I'm in Canberra. And 
Yeah, I've done a myriad of things. Uh, not too much of anything, but a little bit of everything. I think that's more appropriate <laughs> to say. But uh, yeah, so I, I did my education in Brisbane, and then I studied a bit more in Sydney, where I was also working um, a little bit in at the University of Sydney. Then uh, after a couple of years there, I moved over to Canberra to take up a public sector job, which I still do to date as my day job. And about a year ago, I launched Sportagist with uh, two of my friends who also studied with me in Brisbane. And yeah, so now I am to some, a very young startup owner and also a public servant. So it's that's sort of my story, if that gives you a bit of context. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so wonderful seeing the transition that you've made because it's very different. Um, and it would not be wrong to say that you were interested in sports while you were growing up. Do you think does any of that has any uh, factors to contribute towards sport ages? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, of course, sports has always been uh, an important part of my life. Uh, you know, being Pakistani, cricket was huge. I uh, used to watch cricket all the time, mm. used to watch games. I've watched games in Pakistan back in the day, also in the UAE. Um, and then in the UAE, soccer or football was a huge game. So oh, watched yeah. a lot of that. And I grew up playing a bit of sport here and there. Um, I played a lot of squash with my dad because he used to play uh, at a semi-pro level back in Pakistan. And that was something that sparked my interest. And since I've, I think over the last couple of years, I do a lot of rock climbing. So that's sort of where it is at this point. But I think there's this underlying story which will unravel of mm. me doing a little bit of everything and not too much of anything. But uh, sport was definitely an important part uh, of my life. And I think with Sportagious, uh, I was able to combine sport, which is one of the things I really enjoy with another one of my passions, which is writing and uh, content and developing ideas and you know being able to come up with something for people to appreciate. That's wonderful. And, and you speak about writing, you know, these are the two main things, you know, when I studied your profile, I found out that you have this wonderful initiative for sports. Um, and also, I think majorly what goes into it is really good content writing. And I think that's how I think we connected as well, uh, because I, I saw the articles that you were publishing on LinkedIn, and I really got interested in sports ages. And it was really nice. I read some of the articles and the interviews that you guys did, and then eventually the podcast. So um, that brings me to my next question. It's, it's about writing. Um, how do you manage most of your editorial processes and at Sport AGS? Because you're also the host of the podcast and you're the, I, I think, the main writer behind it. And I was even noticing that you've done some poetry in the past, which is wonderful. You know, you, you don't meet a lot of people these days who do that. Um, do you think your academic research and writing skills probably has some input to the fact that you write really well today and how much um, of it is important in modern day digital marketing that, you know, you have to be an excellent copywriter. Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, look, absolutely. I think everything that I've been able to take on and, you know, this very short life of mine 
but everything that I think I've been able to learn so far, of course, I don't by any means think I'm at a point where I can say I know this perfectly or I am an expert at that. But I think all the experiences that I've been able to gain and the knowledge that I've sort of accumulated over uh, over my career and my education and so on has led me to this point. And the little aspects of skills that I've developed, whether it was, and you brought that up, I didn't mention that, but yeah, um, you know, when I was doing spoken word poetry or performing at slam poetry competitions or writing poetry, uh, that was one side of things, the academia, the opinion pieces that I'd write for publications, all of that sort of came together into what we're doing at Sportagis. Um, so I guess, yes, absolutely. All of that does impact what we do. And then the, to the, with the other part of your question, um, which was, how do I manage all of that? Look, um, it may seem like that because I have had to often, you know, I do a lot of the business development side of things and, uh, sometimes unintentionally become the face, but my two co-founders, Furkan and Hassan, do just as much work as I do, if not more. Mm -hmm. It's just that perhaps on the podcast front, it may seem like I'm doing it, but if you look at our website from scratch, everything has been built by Furkan. I don't think I've done anything on that side. Um, with a lot of the social media, I don't do that because I'm not a digital marketer. It's not my expertise by any means. So everyone has a role in it. And I think, you know, we're often doing, helping each other out as well. So with a lot of the content that we create at Sportagis, whether it's the articles we're writing, the opinion pieces, with the opinion pieces, we do, we're fortunate enough to get, have guest writers on board. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty handy because they would like, you know, they sometimes want to submit something or have something published. So that's pretty handy. You know, we will write occasionally. Um, Hassan writes quite a bit. And so does Furkan on, on the opinion side of things. In fact, probably more than me because I'm managing the editorial very often. And we do a lot of interviews and having to then fix those up and whether it's uh, it's an interview by audio that's then transcribed into text or whether it's a text interview, it still requires a lot of work. So I'm often stuck doing that. And I, I don't mean it in a negative way. It's just that because I'm so, I'm having so much fun doing that. I don't get <laughs> to do as much opinion or feature pieces as perhaps I intend to in the future. That's wonderful. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's nice that you mentioned that here as well, because we hear a lot of horror stories as well, when uh, founders and co-founders are working together on a venture or on a, on a, on a business uh, idea. Uh, mostly a lot of times uh, because of the chemistry not working well in between each other, um, it doesn't work out and it's just not pleasant to work in that environment. But I think it's really important that you guys share that sort of uh, bond with each other where, you know, I can see it in your voice. You're giving them due credit, even though they're not here. And that's just one of those things. So that's wonderful. Um, moving ahead with the, with the Sportageous concept. Now, you say that it's different from mainstream sports media platforms, right? Um, what do you mean by that? What is 
Sportage is doing that is different? What was the concept of launching it? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, to go at a very basic level, Sanya, like obviously you would uh, be, you would perhaps be familiar with this as well. If you look at media and sports media in particular, let's say in the case of Pakistan, you you know, how much of the story is of value and how much of it has to do with rumors, memes, clickbait, and often even fake news. A cricketer um, went viral because he was dancing and then the media sort of jumped on it and made a essentially a circus out of it. And that's precisely what we challenge at Sportages. So our overarching mission and our slogan, for example, is uh, sport gets smarter. So the whole idea around it is that we need to give a bit of credit to sports fans or fans of sport and not assume that, you know, everyone is willing to take in this content, which doesn't have any value and doesn't actually perhaps teach you something. So what we try to do at Sportagious is, We have a set of themes that we work around. Um, These include diversity and women in sports, sports technology and entrepreneurship, sports health and well-being, and sports academia, which is something that we're still working on. And then we also have editorial sections like the Breaking Myths section at Sportages, which is essentially a place where we talk about different stories in sport that aren't necessarily true. So hence their myths and try to bring the facts to our readers. And we do this across the various different sports. And, you know, a lot of our content is chatting to athletes and sports professionals. And we like to dig a little bit deeper than asking, you know, a football player what their favorite color is and what they like to eat and watch. You have to ask that, though, I agree, at times it's important, but it doesn't just all have to be, you know, simple, simplified base level stuff. You can go deeper. You can ask what it's like to overcome injuries, what, what it takes to be in the limelight. We assume that athletes and sports professionals are at the pinnacle of success and celebrity, but that isn't necessarily the case. Like, you know, I spoke to an athlete not too long ago here in Australia, and by the age of 24, he had played two professional sports and then had a life-threatening injury where he had to retire for good. And the doctor said, hey, you might actually want to consider figuring out how you're going to continue to live and not worry about sport. And how he overcame that and sort of went on to restart his life having only done sport for 24 years. So there is an appetite for this and we are seeing it more and more in sports media, but still significantly lacking. I think, you know, if if you go on a sports specific website, you may have to dig through with the example of clicks, six or seven clicks before you can get to a content piece, which, provides the fan of sport or even someone who's not interested in sport but maybe interested in a socio historical political cultural aspect of what the sport does or brings or means so that's what we're trying to do with sportages and you know we're really young we're hitting a year 
in August, and so far it's been uh, pretty. The it's been an overwhelmingly positive response from everyone who's given us feedback, and uh, you know the people who do follow us as an audience. And you also mentioned that you enjoyed the content, so thank you for that. But it's that's essentially the idea behind challenging the status quo of um, memes and rumors in the sports media industry. Understood. That that explains it really well. And I would like to congratulate you on that note that I know that one year is still really young and you guys are still fresh. But if you see the content that is on the website or listen to the quality of the podcast that you have over there, it's amazing. Um, I did go through them and, you know, I found some really nice inspirational stories as well. And I think also, it might give you um, some of that uh, dose of enthusiasm when you when you speak to all of these people who are so resilient, who have faced adversities or challenges in their life, and they've risen against them. And um, they're just really hardworking people, but then they also have a purpose and meaning to life. Um, is there any particular story from one of these athletes or people from the sports federation or somebody that you spoke to that that really like? you know, resonated with you and still has maybe? Yeah, well, obviously I did uh, slightly touch on one, but there is another one that instantly comes to mind. And that's of um, Sultan Shah, who is the chairman of the Blind Pakistan Cricket uh, Board and uh, Cricket Council, forgive me. His story is phenomenal. And, you know, I had the pleasure of speaking to him a few months ago and you know he he shares his story of how he he was interestingly the first the first captain of the Pakistan blind cricket team and went on to build that organization from grassroots to a point where it is now accepted and recognized and funded to a minimal extent but funded nonetheless by the Pakistan cricket board Whereas the Australian blind cricket team over here is not supported by Cricket Australia. So being able to do that and being able to create this system where people with uh, visual impairment are given, given a salary, provided with an education, given the opportunity to play and compete in a sport they love and get to travel around the world to play this game and also be set up for what comes after that. So he shared that whole story and his own story. And he particularly mentioned one thing that was really interesting was that through this organization, when he had started out, he went to other countries and helped set up and train their uh, blind cricketers. And one of the examples that he gave was Nepal, where he went and trained about 15 or 20 different players and the interesting thing was I think about four or five of them were women and I think you know 19 years later so a couple of years ago they played their first international the first international women's blind cricket match was held in Kathmandu between the Pakistani women's blind cricket team and the Nepal, uh, the Nepal women's blind cricket team. And I think the women that set up that team were the same women who were trained by him uh, many so years ago. 
in that coaching setup that they had in Nepal. So the influence and the impact that he has been able to have in spite of, you know, being in a country where there is close to very minimal support for people with visual impairment or other disabilities relative to say where I am in Australia and being able to do that, hearing that story was absolutely fascinating. Um, and to think that this individual has also, you know, taught at a university, he works at a school, he's built up the cricket organization. He has worked with the government on projects. It is phenomenal. And I think that's definitely a story just in terms of the exactly what you mentioned, adversity, resilience, inspiration, dedication that came out of it that really sticks close to my heart. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think while you were speaking, I was thinking that maybe this is the kind of work or, you know, where there are some projects that you do where you actually feel a sense of fulfillment. So um, it's hard to say that everything that you do each day might be that particular trigger for you. But I do believe that sometimes, at, you know, during your regular work as well, there are particular stories or projects uh, or incidents that give you a sense of fulfillment. So do you believe through the podcast or through writing these articles or reaching out to these people and bringing their stories out and about into mainstream uh, digital media, um, you have that sense of fulfillment? And um, is this like really rewarding for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you know, you can create a platform where people, where you enable people um, to share stories such as these, I think, I mean, you know, I, I would I would almost say I'd be ungrateful if I wasn't happy being able to do that because it's it's a fascinating way to provide that voice and also learn that story and hear that story because often with a lot of the work that we do, yes, we do get um, bigger and more popular athletes who you can read about, but right. we also specifically target grassroots athletes and athletes from some sports where you may not really know about them. So I learned that story for the first time myself as well, often because I only have a base set of information and then being able to share that and realizing that other people also relate to it or appreciate it or find inspiration from it. I think that, you know, in, in that we've done, we've done our job essentially. Right, right. You know, this reminds me of um, a quote by one of my favorites, Maya Angelou. She says, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. And believe it or not, Zushan, this is, I think, one of the um, one of the driving forces behind me also starting this podcast, because I just thought that there's too many stories out there by people not preferably you know, really somebody who's made the mark as compared to, you know, normal societal standards, but everyone has a story to tell. And sometimes it's just nice to hear them and it can give you inspiration. And especially during these uh, trying times when most of us have to stay back home and then there's news media, you know, everything is about COVID, everything seems depressing and uh, there's just too much going on. I just feel at this time, you know, when we're really reconnecting with our own self or trying to, um, just listening to content where people are talking about something meaningful, something 
that gives them an idea about life, how they've dealt with something, something interesting that they've been doing, whether maybe helping community, helping a voice being heard. I think these are phenomenal stories and, and they should be told. So kudos to you on doing that. Um, moving ahead, uh, since I am from a design background, so of course I will not ignore that part completely. <laughs> and I did notice over the course of few months, you guys did change your logo a bit. So you've recently made it more gender inclusive with the uh, equal parts of pink and blue, which is really nice. Um, but also, do you think that, you know, while covering various stories, did you feel that women uh, in sports are are challenged or not given the right opportunities? Is it regional centric or do you think this is a it's a problem, you know, on, on, in, in a lot of countries? Yeah, well, uh, first, I'll just say uh, we're, we're like, I'm sure Furkan will be very glad to hear that people have noticed the design change and uh, the colors that he's sort of decided on because it's exactly for that purpose to be gender inclusive as an organization uh, that promotes diversity, women in sports, we're inclusive with everyone and anyone. That was sort of the idea and the reasoning why we swapped from it being, you know, one guy running to having uh, two people running in the other direction as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure when he hears this, but I will tell him after this as well that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that was something that was noticed. He'd really appreciate it. So Absolutely. yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. Um, what was the, forgive me, what was the other part of the question that you'd ask? Yeah. So women in sports. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So look, it, you know, you would think it's regional, but I'll give you, I'll give you the stats because I have these fresh in my head at the moment. I was uh, reading about this not too long ago. I'll give the example of Australia because Australia is probably one of the better, if not the best, uh, sporting industry when it comes to women in sports and even within sports media. So, you know, we've obviously seen with the ICC Women's T20 World Cup, which was held just before the pandemic really kicked off, over 82,000 people showed up at the T20 Cricket Final, uh, which, was, which almost broke the record for the most attended women's sports game. I think it's still with the 97 FIFA World Cup Final, um, but it's only a couple of thousand. So... I think that that was one key thing that we saw here in Australia. And then the other thing was that in, I believe in March or February, the Australian women's soccer or football team, the Matildas now get paid the same as the men's soccer team in Australia called the Socceroos. Right. So that's one of the firsts in, I think most of the world where that happens. And I'll give you now, I guess, coming to the sports media side of things. So in Australia, the sorry, let me actually start it from here. The global average for mainstream media sports coverage of women in sports is 4%. So 4% no, really? of all. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So 4% of all mainstream sports media news or whatever. So it is, is on women. In the U.S., it's exactly the same as the global average, which is 4%. In Australia, it's 12%. Now, that's significantly more, yes. But is it a lot? 
No. And that's the, that's the reality of it. We very recently here in Australia just won the bid to host the 2023 uh, Women's FIFA World Cup alongside our neighbors in New Zealand. So that's going to be fantastic for right. the women's side of things. And I think that there is a lot of room for it and a lot of avenues for it to grow. But one of the key things that we want to do at Sportages is once we have enough capital and resources, we would like to bring more women into the organization to work with us for diversity of thought, for representation of a lot of the content we do, because I don't think that we can really do justice to the content until there are women working with us at Sportages also producing and also leading on that content side of things and reaching out to athletes, creating stories, coming up with video casts or podcasts and sitting down and talking to them. So that is one of the missions that we have in our relatively longer term plans at the moment. You know, we're a bootstrap startup. Everything that comes in goes back into the business and just making sure that, you know, things are, the engine is running. So that's one of our longer term targets. But I think there's a lot of work to do. And I think in any space when there's a lot of work to do, there's a lot of opportunity. And we want to take up that opportunity, but also do it justice. Right, right. Absolutely agreed. And, and Sushan, you're managing so many things, like I said, um, at a very young age. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, you do have a day job as well, correct? Right. And then with entrepreneurship and having something of your own, because I've, I've recently experienced this because I've also left my 11 years of career and I'm on my own now and I'm working on things that I love doing. And although that sounds really nice, but I know that the back yeah. end, it's just that there is no downtime because now this is your own work and you don't get your weekends off or you don't get coffee breaks. So basically my next question is around the structure of your whole day. How do you, how do you manage the work-life balance? Is it something that actually ever really does get balanced? Yeah, look, that's an interesting one. I'll, I'll tell you an interesting fact about work-life balance. That's the most searched keyword on Google in Australia. So <laughs> I'm we, sure it's world over. <laughs> we, we really give it a lot of importance and, you know, it's something that, um, politicians speak about you know it's it's to that level where it's really really emphasized and in all honesty I would be lying if I said work-life balance exists you know it, it would be naive of me to say something like that I think finding that balance is a far cry it's always about finding some sort of balance or rather playing the balancing act because right you know, obviously you've got your career, I've got my career, I've got my um, startup, I've also got my family, my friends, so many other things. Managing all of it, I think planning helps quite significantly, absolutely. I think that's important. Right. Um, we, you know, try to follow a lot of planning systems. One of the advantages that we have at Sportages is we all work remotely because we're based in different cities in Australia. And because of that, we've had to sort of ground up, set up the startup in a way where we can use 
SaaS products and other systems that enable us to really streamline the processes, our taskings and that sort of thing. So that definitely helps. Um, one of the important things that we do is because we're good friends, we like to keep each, each other in check. And if, you know, I'm overworking or one of the other guys is overworking, one of us is going to shoot the other person a message and say, look, I've got some downtime. Let me take it up and you go take a break. Oh, You've that's got... Yeah. So when that opportunity arises, we always try to make sure and uh, that we do that. And one of the things that we've really sort of pushed for now is at least having a Sunday off um, or a Saturday off or even splitting it in a way where two people are off on a Sunday and one is working and vice versa. So that way you get some downtime, you can spend time with your friends, your family, whoever so it is, and do the other things you need to do. You still have to do your daily chores, your housework, everything else. So managing all of that, um, you need to have processes in place. You mm. need to recognize when you're hitting burnout. Um, I, I would lie if I said I was perfect at it. Um, and I think everyone who is in such a space comes across these sort of things. Um, I am definitely no expert and I wouldn't call myself any sort of life coach or, you know, mindset or right. coach or anything of that sort. But what's worked for me is scheduling, setting up the right processes and systems and having people including your, it can be your family. My, my wife keeps me in check as well. So mm. she makes, you know, she, she, she works, uh, and she works. If I was doing my day job, I'd probably work it, be working less hours than her. So she works a significant amount of time, but she keeps me in check when, you know, I'm going overboard or I'm reaching that point of burnout. So having the right people around you and working with the right people in your organization, uh, the day job, you got to do it. You know, it's it's where your money comes in. And if you enjoy it as well, that's an added plus because often, you know, people don't enjoy that and do that just until the other thing kicks off. But if that's working out for you, that's a plus too. But overall, that's sort of what has worked for me. And right. I'm still learning. So I'm looking to uh, figure out more things. So if you have any tips, you know, you can, you can tell me as well. <laughs> no, no, I absolutely believe that learning never really stops. But I think personally for me, um, everybody had different experiences for, for COVID. But for me, one thing that it did was it forcefully slowed me down. And also the fact that I, I wasn't working, I, I had just left my job and, um, I was basically, uh, I'm in hospitality, right? So hospitality industry is going through a very bad phase at the moment. Um, but that also forced me to really like take a step back and see what really it is that I like doing. What, what are my passions that were probably my dreams a couple of years ago, which I've literally pushed to the back of my head. So I think for me, it worked out. And um, it really helped me in streamlining. But then this is the downside of it, which I recently found out that, okay, when you're working for yourself, then you're pretty much occupied and your mind is constantly racing because see, it's, it's a digital age, digital era. 
you know, whatever you're doing, you're like, you know, I should rather be posting. I should rather be making some content. I should rather be getting in touch with people rather than relaxing. So it's just a very, um, I think uh, it's, it's a tricky one. And as you rightly put, finding balance is the key here. Uh, might not be ideal, but of course, I also feel that making schedules and making sure that I have very realistic goals uh, set with me yeah. and they're not like, um, you know, unattainable. Like I make sure that I make weekly goals. I don't make daily goals. And even in that way, you know, if I'm going at my own pace during the week, that's absolutely fine. With that, Zushan, I would like to wrap up towards today's conversation. Um, I wish you guys lots of success. I look forward to reading lots of more content from Sports Ages and uh, wish you guys all the best. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be, you know, the first person on the One podcast. The- <laughs> and I wish you- yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, but I yeah. would also like to mention this here, which is something not everybody has, is that you've always been so helpful. We didn't know each other enough. We just connected through on LinkedIn. But whenever I had any question on, on my starting up my podcast or the art cover or what to do, what not to do, you were very helpful. So I think that's one of the qualities of people who are givers and that really sets them apart from the rest. Yeah, look, anytime. And look, honestly, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, more of the podcast and seeing how it grows. And I really, uh, I really enjoyed this as well. It was a great, great discussion. So Absolutely. thanks again for having me. Thank you for coming, Zushan. Thank you. Take care. Bye.